And now, on with the show. Hey everyone, welcome to We're Watching Here. We're Watching Here. This is Opinionated Movie Talk with Chris and Perry. My name is Chris Williams. With me today, he is the 80 for Brady to my fast ex, Perry Seibert. How you doing, Perry? <laughs> I'm I, I'm I'm I I think I'm okay with that. I think yeah, I'm doing very well. Thank you very much, Chris. How are you doing? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. It's my favorite time of the year. And uh, you know what? It's actually only been about a week since we saw each other in person, which is a rare occurrence. So that was nice to see you last week. Yes. Nice to watch some movies with you. And if you couldn't tell by the intro, we're talking the best movies, you know, some of the best movies at the end of the year. We're talking awards, uh, Fast X, 80 for Brady. Those are uh, nominees, I'm sure, somewhere. <laughs> Um, but yeah, no, I'm doing great. I, I love award season and, uh, I love the fact that this year we had screeners again. Uh, y- yes. A little insider baseball. Those of us uh, were, uh, the, 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 the smaller studios did a good job of getting things out to us. Didn't they? They did not rely on just, uh, on just links, which is what the majors seem to stick with these days. Yeah. What, what's weird is I think the, the people who sent me the most physical screeners this year, we're oddly enough streaming studios like Netflix just like my wife was getting so annoyed with the uh, <laughs> the, the 10 pound Netflix boxes that would show up. And she's like, who's going to like read or this, you know, this tome for Maestro or where the mayor <laughs> like she gave the May December so- shirt to my son. And I'm like, why? Why would you send him to school dressed like that? So- <laughs> Yeah, and I was just annoyed it wasn't in a size big enough for me to wear. That was my only disappointment with the May December t-shirt. <laughs> oh, those are references to the fact that Perry and I were actually part of the inaugural year of the Michigan Movie Critics Guild, a collection of critics throughout Michigan that voted on the best movies of the year and recently announced their list of winners. So we're going to talk a little bit about that. Then we'll talk about some new releases. I, I think it's probably safe to say this is our last episode of 2023, right? Uh, uh, who knows? Probably. What with recording schedules being what they are, but who knows? Maybe we can sneak in a quick year ender. I'm I'm off work the week after Christmas, so maybe we can fit something in. I think that might be possible. So, all right. Well, yeah. Let's talk. We had uh, we had the list of nominees for the Michigan Movie Critics Guild come out last Friday, and then the winners were announced as we're recording today, Monday, December fourth, uh, just a few hours after the Atlanta Film Critics crowned Oppenheimer King of pretty much everything in in their voting. Um, yeah, we'll run down the list of nominees and winners. But was there anything about the nominees when they came out that that you had a thought on? Uh, I, I was, I was for the most part actually very pleased with our slate of nominees. I think it's a, I think it's a pretty good list all in all. I, I am, I, I, it, it can vary, you know, <laughs> I never know what I'm going to get as I go in. And I thought this was, this was a fairly good, this was a very, very, very good list of nominees. Yes. Yeah. I kind of had the impression that we would see, um, it, it would just be, dominance of barbie oppenheimer and killers of the flower moon like over and over um and so i was really pleasantly surprised to see some smaller stuff come in um 
including like two movies that I really love were nominated for Best Picture and several other awards. Um, you know, it kind of, the love kind of got spread around and I really love that our three nominees for Best Picture or three of our six nominees for Best Picture were directed by women. Uh, that was a yes. uh, cool little feather in our cap. So good for I agree. us. Um, I agree. So yeah, let's let's run down the nominees and winners real quick. We won't take the whole show up with this, but I thought it. I, I thought when the winners were revealed, it was kind of interesting and not maybe not the way I would have voted for all the winners. But uh, I will say first off that all the nominees for Best Picture are movies I like quite a bit. Um, I think five of the six are in my top ten list this year, and one of them I could see squeaking into my top twenty. So, uh, so those nominees for Best Picture were. American Fiction, Anatomy of a Fall, Barbie, The Holdovers, Past Lives, and Poor Things, with the winner going to Barbie. And, Harry, we talked about Barbie on the show uh, back this summer. How do you feel about Barbie being the movie of the year for the Michigan film critic or Michigan movie critics? It, um, it's not my choice. <laughs> and I like Barbie. Don't get me wrong. I <laughs> think... Uh, I think the two best films of the year are both in that category, and I think Barbie's neither of them. So I am, I am a, I am a tad disappointed. Uh, I, I, I think we're going to have. A, I, I am going to bring up points of order with people. I think we should. Uh, I think, I think there needs to be some alterations to how we do the voting for the winners. <laughs> but I'll bring that up with the group. Uh, but that's fine. I, I, I don't. I, I don't think Barbie's an embarrassing choice by any means. I understand why. Uh, there is a film I would have had a bigger problem with on that list. Have <laughs> had one. I don't want to talk about what it is, uh, but th- that's fine. I understand how Barbie gets there. It was certainly the most talked about movie of the year. Uh, I-, I don't think it's the best movie of the year, but I am. I am. I- it is probably the one that will. Uh, it was probably certainly the most talked about. Yeah, it's. I, I think it's comparable to last year. I feel like if we had had a group last year. There's a really good chance Top Gun Maverick would have been voted film of the year. And I would have had an issue with that um, because I like Top Gun Maverick, but it is not the best movie of that year. Uh, It's not even close to me. Barbie's close. I like Barbie a lot. Um, I I love Barbie. It is in my top five of the year. Uh, There were four movies I liked more than Barbie. Um, And I would say, uh, looking down the list, three of those movies are on this list. Um, And that's just the way it it sorts out. And I think, you know, I I don't think we did a weighted ballot for the the final winners. And I'm curious what difference that would have made. Um, But yeah, I I like Barbie. I think it's it's the best case scenario of having an IP movie. It it has something to say. It's smart. It's funny. Um, (laughs) But there are two movies in particular where I'm like, the complexity on display in those movies, the filmmaking on display of those movies, I, I don't know how you could uh, put them, you know, under Barbie. Uh, yes. <laughs> I, I I will agree with you vehemently that Barbie is a million times better than Top Gun Maverick. There's no <laughs> doubt about that. Uh, but yes, at the same time, I don't have Barbie in my top five. I have it. I have it in the 10, but I don't have it in the top five. And uh three of the films I do have in my top five were sitting in that list of nominees. I'm like, <laughs> Ooh, Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh, I, I mean, really? and I can't, I can't complain really? about that. There have been years where we voted uh, and 
none of the films in my top five make it to yeah. the ballot. And that always Absolutely. pisses me off. That's Absolutely. when you feel like, should I be doing this anymore? But uh, I, I can't complain about these nominees because I don't think there's a single one I dislike. There, there, there's a few that I have issues with um, or just don't like as much. And Yes, there is one that I think is weaker than the rest. <laughs> and, I and I don't want to get into it. Yep, it's but probably the it's, same one I have. Yep. Uh, but it's but it's still a very good movie. It's, yep. a, it's a very good first film, and I uh, I just think that it's it's what this points out to me. And I agree with you entirely. Yes, that it's it was nice to have so many of my nominees sitting there. And I think that's because this was. I don't think this was a great movie year, but I think it was a very good movie year in that really good stuff was released throughout the year. It wasn't like we got mm-hmm. an onslaught of great stuff at the end of the year that salvaged it. There was always something to go see that was very worthwhile. Um, it's just that there weren't a whole lot of things to see that, that are incredibly worthwhile. I think that's why there's a lot of consensus this year. Yeah, I mean, the strike kind of torpedoed the end of the year in a lot of respects, or the strikes. Sure. Um, but Sure, maybe. I will... it's, it's interesting. They, I don't know. Did, did people hold stuff? I mean, I know some stuff was held from release because of the strike because they wanted people to go out and talk about it and market it. But I don't know. I, I'm curious. It's a very good question. I would love to know more about how much that might have affected the release patterns of some things. There were some things like um, I know Richard Linklater's Hitman got great buzz out of all the festivals and then it's just going to be pretty much buried by Netflix yeah. sometime early next year and that that bums me out. I was also surprised not to see either Oppenheimer or Killers of the Flower Moon make the top five list. Um, I but... was surprised Oppenheimer didn't. I agree. I am I am uh, that, that's and you know what? I'm okay. Guess what? Neither of them are in my top five either. <laughs> uh, I think one of those is in my top five. Both are in my top ten. Um, One is in my top 10. <laughs> best director, uh, we had Greta Gerwig for Barbie, Cord Jefferson for American Fiction, Yorgos Lanthimos for Poor Things, Christopher Nolan for Oppenheimer, and Martin Scorsese for Killers of the Flower Moon. Uh, this went to Greta Gerwig for Barbie. And sure. <laughs> Here's here's the problem I've been having with Barbie recently. I rewatched Lady Bird less than a month ago. Mm-hmm. And that's still her best movie. And agree. that's a large compliment. Like that's not that's not to say she's gotten worse. That's just to say that is the one of the three that feels incredibly personal <laughs> and very lived and very real. Uh not that Barbie's supposed to be very real. Uh and I do think she means Barbie very much. Uh but it's just to say, wow. I would rather see her work again in that vein than make, as you just put it, the best possible result from an IP movie. (laughs) That's not, you've already put enough weight and baggage on that, that I like, oh, yep, that's exactly right. That's, that's kind of the core problem. I don't know how great the Barbie movie can be if Mattel approves of it. I I was okay. I'm okay with Greta Gerwig for this, just because in general, I love Greta Gerwig and sure, recognize her. I think, I would have been more on board uh, because it created, you know, this really spectacular world. Uh, But then I saw Poor Things and I just kind of was gobsmacked by Poor Things. And uh, 
the world that Yorgos Lanthimos created there. It might it might have something to do with I think that is actually the first Yorgos Lanthimos film I have seen. Um, oh, which, really? Yeah, okay. which feels like being thrown into the deep end with that one. Um, oh no, that's a very accessible end of that. Really? Film. Holy oh shit. yes! Wow! <laughs> wow! Oh, oh yes! Um, yeah, I mean, I like all these nominees, uh, some more than others, but uh, I, you know, it, it's again, it, it this just how this shakes out. I I love one of those nominees. One of those nominees I have serious reservations about, uh, and none of the people I had, n- none of the five I put in, uh, other than Scorsese, were in that group. I-, I think that there were, I think there were much better choices that were left on the table. I feel like it's very weird that three of the top six films in our list were directed by women, and only one of the women made the list, and two of the women maybe should have made the list. Uh, uh, well, <laughs> one of them should have for sure that didn't. <laughs> we'll, and we'll, we'll complain about that later. Uh, but that's fine. I get it. I yeah. understand. Uh, uh, you know, anything, it is the problem with any award like this. Often the thing that is the most of that thing gets rewarded rather than the thing that's the best of that yep. thing. And so I, I think that uh, I think that befell a lot of us in the best director category this year. Speaking of which, let's move to best actress and uh, talk about the nominees there who were Lily Gladstone for Killers of the Flower Moon, Sandra Hewler for Anatomy of a Fall, Greta Lee for Past Lives, Carrie Mulligan for Maestro, and Emma Stone for Poor Things. And the award went to Emma Stone for Poor Things. Um, and I like Emma Stone and Poor Things quite a bit. I feel like now is the time where we should talk about Anatomy of the Fall. Uh, Anatomy of a Fall. Oh, I think uh, I think we should wait on that. Oh, really? This, okay. There's a big one coming later, right? Okay. Yeah, there is. Let's um, wait on that. Okay. We'll hold that, this, but I, I, yeah, I have things to say about that when we get there then. I would like to take this opportunity to say that, first of all, that's an outstanding set of nominees. Yes. I it, really think that's a fabulous. And in a year in which I don't remember a year in which I had to cut so many best actress. Look, my shortlist was 12. That never happens. There aren't usually that many great parts for, for actresses. And there were this year. Um, I think all of those nominees are great. And it still pains me that we don't have Natalie Portman there for May, December. Like that's how good it is. I, and I, <laughs> um, I am thrilled that, uh, that Ms. Hewler is there from anatomy of a fall. And that's, enough to make me be okay with the fact that had I ranked them and I did Emma Stone was last on my list out of those five. And I still think she's very deserving. It's, it's a very very interesting performance. Uh, uh, That film does not hold without her. (laughs) Uh, And I enjoyed it. Uh, Those are all fabulous performances. Just see all of those movies. The Emma Stone one is a performance that could have very easily been more instead of best. Uh, and it's yes. a big performance, but it is also a very subtle performance in other ways. And it, yes, it absolutely. It's great. Uh, my wife was asking, I was going through the winners with her. And she's like, well, how is Barbie your best movie of the year? But Margot Robbie is not a nominee. And I'm like, because there were at least five actresses who we all yeah. liked better than her. I mean, that's and to take nothing away from Margot Robbie, who I really like in Barbie. But yes, I any one of these could have won and I would have been completely happy. Yes. Agreed. Absolutely. Moving on to best actor. We have Bradley Cooper for Maestro, Zach Efron for the Iron Claw, Paul Giamatti for the Holdovers, 
Cillian Murphy for Oppenheimer and Jeffrey Wright for American Fiction. This was our first tie. Paul Giamatti and Jeffrey Wright. Both performances I like quite a bit. Yes. And a, 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 a more than acceptable set of nominees. Uh, I was... Uh, I... I <laughs> yeah. Yes. It's... Yes. I... It's amazing thinking about it. I think I I think I voted for three of the five in the original nominees set, uh, and I'm I am ve- I am very fine with that with that tie. That's perfectly fine. Bradley Cooper is my first choice out of those five, uh, but that's a those again fine performances all the way around. And I finally figured out <laughs> not that we can get too deep into it, but I will I will say this about uh, about. <laughs> I I will say this about Zac Efron in the Iron Claw. I think it is the right amount of measured praise to say it is without doubt the finest work of Zac Efron's career. <laughs> and I I really don't want to make that sound mean. Like that's that's making fun of what I thought he was even capable of. He's very good in the film. Yes, he I, is. I I think awarding it as one of the five best performances of the year is a bit of a stretch, but it's very good. It's very good. I think he made his way into my five. So I, I really like him in it. Um, but yeah, I like Paul Giamatti and Jeffrey Wright. It's like two actors yes. who can do this in their sleep, just doing what they do best very, very well. Yeah, two um, of the best actors alive. Yep. So yep. yes, I'm fine with splitting that. Best supporting actress, America Ferrara for Barbie, Divine Joy Randolph for The Holdovers, Rachel McAdams for Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret. Julianne Moore for May, December, and Rosamund Pike for Saltburn. The winner was Divine Joy Randolph for The Holdovers. And again, I like her quite a bit in that movie. I don't know that she would have been my number one pick, uh, but she's quite good. She, I think she's going to win everything. I think, she's, I think she's on a path to win the Oscar uh, almost unabated. <laughs> not, not saying that's not saying that shouldn't that it shouldn't be abated so much somewhat, but it's and it's a very good performance. I, I loved it. I have no problem with it. I I'm pretty sure I had her in my top three. Uh, I probably had Julianne Moore number one, and by probably I know I did. Uh, but that's that's very much me. Uh, I yeah, that's a, that, again that is a with one exception a great set of nominees. And, and I, I am, I'm more than fine with our winner. Uh, yes, it's a yep. great choice. Uh, Rosamund Pike, though, I, I just first uh, Saltburn is a movie I don't even like that much. Like I enjoy it, I don't think it's great, but I love every second of that movie that Rosamund Pike is on the screen. Um, <laughs> she is, she is so good, and I think we're going to talk Julianne more a little bit more in a bit. Um, yes. Oh, but really funny too. I was talking for someone to someone who had. Uh, assumed that Rachel McAdams was the lead for Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret. And I had to ask them, is she God or is she Margaret? Because I don't think she's either. Um, (laughs) She's closer to one than the other. I'll let you decide what that means. (laughs) But uh, I'm glad she made the list because I don't think we've talked uh, uh, on here since I saw Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret, largely because you were so uh, rapturous about it. And yeah, yeah just that that's a great movie. I yes, I, I do love that movie quite a bit and uh, glad to see it mentioned here. It was weird coming down to it. And I, I had this uh, <laughs> I, I, I got into this uh, when I was trying to rank these things, especially when I was choosing my best directors. 
because I fully believe that the directors of the holdovers <laughs> and are you there? Got to me, Margaret did the exact same job. Like they had a fantastic screenplay. One of them wrote that screenplay and it wasn't Alexander Payne <laughs> uh, and, and, and filmed it perfectly. Like there are no missteps. Everything is beautifully cast. Everything is perfectly set. Everything is beautifully shot. It's there. It's great filmmaking. Uh, and uh, I, I, I think that all you need to know as to why Alexander Payne is getting more love at the end of the year is the fact that, well, he's a man. <laughs> Probably true. Dealing and now I really at a man at its center. And now I really do want to do an end of the year wrap up uh, in, in, end of december because i do want to just talk more about are you there god it's v margaret which anytime yeah the great movie uh best supporting actor sterling k brown for american fiction robert de niro for killers of the flower moon robert downey jr for oppenheimer ryan gosling for barbie and mark ruffalo for poor things um the winner it's just ken uh ryan gosling for barbie which yeah, i okay I mean, I will always celebrate Ryan Gosling in a comedic performance. Um, so I, I'm happy to see that. I will say, I think the performance that actually made me laugh harder was Mark Ruffalo. Um, I, I just find him to be a delight in poor things. I, I I adore Mark Ruffalo. And I have to admit, and it's not that he's bad, but he he, he was one of my least favorite things about them. And I liked poor things. I thought poor things is very good. Um, the, I, I, I did not nominate either of them <laughs> in my top five. I did nominate Michael Sarah from Barbie, which I think is a Ooh, better. Performance, that's a good choice. Quite frankly. Um, but uh, I, I find it uh, uh, talking about anybody other than Robert De Niro in this category is ridiculous to me. So I, that's that's just a towering good. performance. I'm like, no, you can talk about the rest of this. That's fine, and nobody's nobody's bad here, uh, by any means. Uh, but this, come on, <laughs> De Niro's very good in Killers of the Flower Moon. <laughs> yes, um, animated film, The Boy and the Heron, Nimona, Spider Man Across the Spider Verse, Super Mario Brothers movie and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Mutant Mayhem. The winner is Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. I saw three of these five movies. Um, I did not make, I was not able to make time for The Boy and the Heron or Nimona. I saw none of them. I did not nominate. I I, I, absol- I, okay. uh, I, I recused myself from being part of the process because it was not fair because I, I had not seen any of them. And uh, well, if, I thought you saw Across least... the Spider-Verse. Oh, you're right. You're right. And I wished I hadn't. That's why I keep thinking. <laughs> I, I like that. That was maybe the only animated film I saw this year, which is why okay. I did not nominate anything. I wasn't fair. I didn't see that. Uh, it's going to, you know, it, in, in, unless everybody decides that we better make sure Miyazaki has an Oscar, it, it's, I'm sure Spider-Verse will win the Oscar, too. It'll, it'll, it'll win most everything at the end of this year. It was my pick. Um, but, I mean, listen, when Super Mario Brothers is like one of the only other ones I saw. <laughs> you gotta go with it. Uh, although the new Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle movie, only film I've seen twice in theaters this year. Um, yeah, yeah, there you go. Which is a lot to do with the fact that I have two young kids. And, of course. But it, it is a lot of fun. Uh, sure. doc- documentary. This is going to be another quick one. Nominees were Beyond Utopia, Sly, and still a Michael J. Fox movie. 
the winner was still a Michael J. Fox movie. Um, Again, Again, I recused myself. I don't think I saw any documentaries this year. You know, I love I'm on record here. We did a whole episode about how yes. much I love documentaries. I I saw maybe three or four this year. Uh, Sly and Still are the one are two of the ones I saw. Uh, there was one that I really liked called The Mission that no one else apparently saw. Um, still is good. Still is really a, a good movie. Um, and is much better than Sly, which isn't produced or directed by Sylvester Stallone, but feels like it is. <laughs> um, very much a Rocky and Rambo centric, and we're just going to skip right over the nineties. Um, <laughs> like well, it wasn't interesting at the time. I don't know yeah. why it would be interesting to revisit it. So yeah. that's good. Uh, one of my favorite categories is always ensemble, and our nominees for best ensemble this year were Air, Barbie, The Holdovers, Killer of the Flo- Killers of the Flower Moon, and Oppenheimer. With Oppenheimer as the winner, and I don't know that I can argue with that. Oh, I can than, argue with it, but it's fine. It, it's a, it's. I mean, that movie has like sixty people in it. I, I mean, it's definitely yeah. the most ensemble. Uh, Air, I might have preferred that. Uh, that ensemble might have been a little more fun for me. But all these are movies I like. I, I, you know, I can't get too mad about any of them. Yes, I, I am, I am more bitter about what's not there. But that's Oppenheimer's fine. Yep. Yes, that's best. Best screenplay, and they, we we combined adapted and original. Um, so the nominees were American Fiction, Anatomy of a Fall, Barbie, The Holdovers, and Past Lives. The winner was Anatomy of a Fall. I I think there are my top two screenplays of the year were nominated there, and one of them won, and deservedly so. Because boy, am I glad that I got around to seeing this thing. I can't believe I let this get away from me this long. This Anatomy of a Fall is spectacular, people. Yeah, that is that is worth that is a that is a courtroom drama that turns into a Bergman-esque examination of a marriage, <laughs> and both halves of it are brilliant. Like it works at both of those levels. Uh, yeah, boy, see Anatomy of a Fall. Whatever you can do to see Anatomy of a Fall, do it. It's worthwhile. Hundred percent. I I I adore that movie. That is maybe my movie of the year. Um, and the screenplay. I mean, brilliant. The way they dole out information and hide information, not hide, keep from you until like the right moment to decide what to tell you and when, is so effective. Like that thing is structured so well. Yeah. Um. And then I like I'll just say I think Sandra Hewler. I to me that is the that's the performance of the year because there is so uh, I would actually I would say between her and Greta Lee. Yep, those are my top two. Also, they have to do such a job of hinting what they're feeling without us knowing what's going on in their heads for most of the movie. Um, like we don't know the truth about you know their internal. You know, their internal thoughts and feelings on things or even the truth of a situation in these movies for most of their runtime, if at all. And they're such perfectly calibrated performances. And the only the the only razor edge difference between them is that and I think it's harder to play is that I don't think I think Greta Lee understands her character well enough to understand that she herself doesn't know. Well, I think Sandra Hewler knows all along exactly where she is and what she's doing. I think that's readily apparent throughout the entire movie. And that's that's never really questioned. You don't know what she's thinking, but she knows what she's thinking. Yes. As opposed to past lives where 
you know that she doesn't know for sure what she's thinking. Yeah, and, <laughs> and it's and it's that's really riveting. This is They're kind of a, oh, it, it's kind of a spoiler for my top ten list, but I'll just say like the those two movies have flip flopped consistently like over the past few weeks about which one nice. I like more. I I love both those movies so much. They are they are my top two. They just haven't flip flopped. <laughs> Breakthrough award. Sandra Hewler, actress, Anatomy of a Fall. Cord Jefferson, director of American Fiction. Greta Lee, actress for Past Lives. Dominic Sessa, actor for The Holdovers. And Celine Song, the director and writer of Past Lives. Uh, this went to Cord Jefferson for American Fiction. And yes, I will definitely say he was a breakthrough for me. Um, and the fact that I really am curious about what he does next. Um but we just talked about two movies where uh, several of the people involved totally broke through. And, and I can't wait to see what they do next. Even though I know we got blasted online a little bit that Sandra Hewler has had a very prestigious and prolific career in yes. Europe and was in Tony Erdman. I haven't seen Tony Erdman. She broke through for me. Um, and she was in two movies, Anatomy of a Fall and Zone of Interest, both of which she's very good in. Yes, the, giving this to anybody but Celine Song is 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 is, is unfortunate. <laughs> That's all it's. <laughs> I cannot believe that is her first movie. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. The only other thing where I had that reaction was uh, I will say Dominic Sessa from The Holdovers. Uh, I went on to IMDb to see what else he had been in, and this was it. This was, yeah. and I'm like, what the hell? Because that is. That's a really good performance, too. Uh, I believe he, he literally graduated high school and started shooting the movie less than like two weeks later. Yeah, <laughs> it's that, that's crazy. Um, but he also did not write or direct past lives. So Correct. <laughs> that's exactly right. Yes. Uh, we also we are we have a stunt category, which I was actually really thrilled with uh, the. The nominees there were John Wick, Chapter four, The Killer, Mission Impossible, Dead Reckoning, Part one. Polite Society and Silent Night. The winners were John Wick Chapter 4 and Mission Impossible. It should have been John Wick 4 all the way. That is <laughs> a movie I adore um, that I think is just every... Have you seen it yet? No, I haven't. I, need this. I want to see all of them. It's okay. part of the problem. I, I, I want to start from one. It is a movie where every single stunt sequence wants to be the best stunt sequence ever made, and they actually might pull it off. Like, <laughs> it builds. Its final hour is like four different set pieces that I, I still don't know how they filmed. And, <laughs> like, it is so good, so graceful. It, like, reminded me of Singing in the Rain several times because it is, <laughs> like, just so well choreographed and just so speedy. Like, oh, God, it's such a good movie. So that was my vote for this. Did you abstain from this one? I, I did. I recused. I have not seen nearly enough action stuff this year and, and didn't want to swing. I didn't want to swing the ballot towards the killer. <laughs> the killer does have a really good brawl in a, uh, like a, in a house. Best action sequence through. I saw all year. But. Yeah, that yeah, was pretty good. Um, and then we have one last award, which is the Michigan Movie Critics Guild Award for Film Excellence. This goes to someone who has Michigan ties or a movie set in Michigan or made in Michigan. Um, I'll be honest. I had a hard time thinking of nominees for this one, but the nominees were Keegan, Michael key for his work in Wonka, the super Mario brothers movie and migration, Ashley park for Joyride, Paul Schrader, who is the director of master gardener, Lily Tomlin for 80 for Brady, 
J.K. Simmons for Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse, and Bruce Campbell, who produced but did not star in Evil Dead Rise, which takes place in L.A. <laughs> and the winner was Keegan-Michael Key, and you know what? I love Key and Peele. I, sure. Yeah, sure. <laughs> I mean... I was hoping for Paul Schrader, but sure, that's fine. Had I seen Master Gardener, I might have... Uh, I, I might have gone there. Um, I feel like that should be a legacy award, so it should be like Paul Schrader or Lily Tomlin, but God, I like Keegan-Michael Key a lot. Of course. I, yeah, I, I, I wish nothing bad on Keegan-Michael Key, ever. So those are our nominees and winners for the uh, first Michigan Movie Critics Guild Award. I had a lot of fun doing that this year. This was I had forgotten how much fun it was to be part of one of these groups. I had been a few years since I'd been able to do it. Uh, it, it is something that I, uh, I, 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 it tickles me endlessly that I get to be a part of it. And it's something that I, I dreamed of being able to do as a kid, quite frankly, and I'm not making this up. Not that I thought there would be a Michigan centric one, but I used to follow the, the membership of the New York film critics circle. Like some kids would follow the Yankees. So I was more than happy to be a, a be a part of something like this for the last 16 years in Detroit. And maybe next year we convince them to do the uh, New York Film Critics Circle thing of sitting in a room and arguing oh, and not please. leaving the room until we have this hashed out. Please. <laughs> please, let's do that. I, I would love that. All right. Well, do you have anything else to say about the nominees or winners, or can we move on to our uh, new releases? No, check them out. Uh, great work. I'm very happy to be part of this group, and I am honored to be among all of you. And follow Michigan Movie Critics on social media. I'll put the links in the show notes. I know they uh, want to do some new things uh, throughout 2024 to kind of keep things going. So stay tuned. I think there's going to be a podcast. I think there's going to be hopefully some uh, events, things like that. So follow them and uh, yeah, see what we're all liking. Um, Perry, last time we talked, we were discussing our most anticipated movies for the award season. And y'all can go back and listen to those. We actually talked about some of them here already, uh, but there were two in particular that we both ended up seeing um, a few weeks ago, uh, two Netflix movies. It kind of made sense to, to group those together and talk about them. I know one of them was your most highly anticipated movie of the, uh, of the award season. So yeah, let's, let's talk some Netflix. Um, and yes, let's, why don't you start with yours? My was Todd Haynes's May December. I think Todd Haynes is uh, literally one of the ten, if not five, best living American directors. Haynes, I finally figured out how to explain why Todd Haynes is brilliant to to people. You know how like the best, and you know this as well as I do, the best channel, like the old, like the the original set of Pixar films, worked at that wonderful ability to keep everyone in the story. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, take these digressions or to tell the story in a way where if you're an adult, <laughs> you will get a little extra something out of it. It doesn't ruin the experience for the kids at all. It doesn't It doesn't uh, detract. It doesn't make it a less enjoyable experience. It is simply a way to tell the story two different ways at the same time to appeal to different audiences. Mm-hmm. At his most accessible – this is exactly what Todd Haynes has been doing his entire career, except instead of it being kids and adults, it is people who really like movies and hardcore film nerds. I always like to remind people, Haynes was an Ivy League semiotics major. 
he knows the meaning of signs and symbols and he loves to put them in his movies and comment upon them. Uh, and in his most accessible movies, safe, far from heaven, certainly may December uh, his fantastic, that fantastic miniseries of Mildred Pierce that he did for HBO. That's what he's doing. He's giving you a genre piece. He's giving you a melodrama. He's giving you uh, a horror film uh, and he doesn't, it, it absolutely delivers at all of those levels. And at the same time, he's giving you a very, very, very brilliant deconstruction of what these signs and symbols mean in these movies, as well as what they mean in the culture at large. He's, he's fantastic. Uh, granted, he's not for everybody. Not all of his films will work for everybody. If you don't like Bob Dylan, there is no reason to see the Bob Dylan movie. <laughs> it will never play for you. But, and, and I also want to say, Greta Gerwig did tell him during this Oscar season that he is responsible for the real Barbie movie. And he is, if you've never <laughs> seen Superstar, the Karen Carpenter story, find your bootleg copy of it, his first movie. All right, I'll step down from the soapbox now to say that May, December is him returning to uh, melodrama territory, uh, fusing uh, Bergman's persona <laughs> with, with uh, a good old fashioned, almost lifetime movie. <laughs> of a thriller, psychological thriller about an actress who has come to the home of a woman who decades ago became the center of a tabloid scandal and who is now trying to live a quiet life, but a movie is being made about their experience. And so the actress played by Natalie Portman has come to the small town where the woman lives with her husband. Uh, and and that sounds like a fantastic setup. And it is <laughs> uh i enjoyed this a ton chris I, I i absolutely loved may december it is that wonderful movie where you think you know what's going on and then slowly scene by scene everything deepens everything gets more complicated everything gets a little weirder uh until you get to a last a last scene that is uh, what's what's the I forget who said it first, but it's the, the last conclusions are the hardest thing in telling a story, right? Because you have to tell you have to come to something that is both absolutely inevitable and completely unexpected. Mm -hmm. That's that's the dual goal of the last of the end of a of the end of a story. Boy, <laughs> this hits it out of the park. <laughs> this is a fabulous last scene. This might be my favorite last scene of the year. Uh, in terms of sheer narrative, in, in terms of where you got to and how you got here, uh, I haven't been gut punched by the end of a movie so hard <laughs> this year by anything else. Uh, it's great. It's so good. You know, I could say this. I, Anatomy of Fall isn't a gut punch, but also pulls off that fantastic double landing of being yeah. both inevitable and a total surprise. Uh, I love May, December, and it's a hard thing to talk about because it's hard to talk about without either a giving too much away or b almost kind of overselling it because <laughs> it is a slow burn of a movie it doesn't it it, it it plays it's not it's not a hard watch but it doesn't fly at you yeah it, this movie might have been the hardest review i ever had to write all year in the fact that it's there, there's very much this aesthetic that he is playing with camp here but i don't know that i would call this a campy movie through and through like it there's a scene where julianne moore talks about not having enough hot dogs early yeah. on in the movie and it's played as over the top camp and it does at first feel like this 
tabloid story that you would get in the 90s or so, right? Uh-huh. Like like a Lifetime movie. But then it's so interested in how complex the people beyond, behind those tabloid stories really are. Um, you know, th- these are human beings in this movie, yeah. and they're complex. And there is a very complicated marriage at the center of this that you kind of get the feeling would just float along maybe until it petered out for a while, but then someone shows up and just throws like a firecracker in the pond <laughs> and makes these people think about their dynamic again for the first time. And, you know, in the whole of this, Natalie Portman's character might be the one who, you know, is the most disturbing and unsettling in things. And it's hard to talk about because to understand this, you have to like, talk about those aesthetics and the little you know the way he's winking at conventions and yet it's a tough movie to talk about but i really did like it um i I think uh i i like natalie portman when she is not playing just the standard wholesome lead when when she can tap into someone who's a little disturbed uh, I really like her and I like her a lot in this. She was, I believe she was in my best actress uh, ballot. Yeah, she's um, absolutely mine. Because just the way her, it's, it's really this discussion of like, how much are you going to understand and honor a real person's story and how much of this is self-serving and just giving you an experience that you've been, you know, you're trying to figure out what's quote unquote real or true and there is a scene where she has to talk to a class of high school students yeah. that is so uncomfortable. <laughs> like, <laughs> like I, I, I was like, I know, I know cringe is the big thing with the kids these days. I was cringing. Um, and then Julianne Moore is just also just so fantastic because that is a character who just has layers that are being ripped, you know, ripped open every few scenes. You're learning something new and what she can do with a lisp. Just to, uh, just to, you know, make her a little more vulnerable, a little more yep. sympathetic. Like, it's really, really great. <laughs> and then Charles Melton, is that correct? Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. Um, he he comes out of nowhere. I've never seen him in anything. Uh, and he is the heart of this movie as the the person who was most affected by this relationship, and whose life has been. I, you know, it's been hindered in certain ways because of it. He has not grown up. And there is a scene where he's talking to his son, who's a college student now, even though he's only like 36. And he he says something along the lines of, I don't know if I'm helping you or if I'm fucking you up in real time. (laughs) And it is the truest line about parenting I have ever heard. (laughs) But God, he like he really sells this guy who just never got the mental growing up he had to he needed to do like he's still treated as a kid in many ways um by his wife and natalie portman's character i I don't want to say manipulates that but uses that to help herself a little bit i i i yes saying more feels like a spoiler yeah (laughs) so if we can agree everybody if you haven't seen the movie yet stop Go watch the movie and then come back to this point in the podcast. <laughs> okay. So now I'm going to say that, yes, absolutely. That y- she, there is, there is a, there is a very big scene near the end of the movie in which Natalie Portman says, this is what adults do. Mm-hmm. 
that um that you think means something when she says it <laughs> and then the end of the movie completely undercuts this in a way that is absolutely glorious it, yeah. it's one of the reasons i absolutely love this movie uh it's it's a it's just a it's just a great piece it is one of haynes's very best films and like i said this is a guy who's made a lot of great films almost all of them with julianne moore there and and just some of the shot compositions in this when they're sitting side by side and I, there's one where there's like there's mirrors on either side of them and it's, it's just a really good movie to look at yeah, there's a, there's an extended sequence that's obviously a riff on Persona that at the same time is shot from the point of view of it is a mirror they are looking mm-hmm. into. Like you are yeah. the mirror. You are being looked at as you watch them look at themselves. And it, that all means something. That's not just for show. That's there quite purposefully <laughs> to make you think, which is what Haynes does without ever undercutting his story. It's, he's He's so good. I love this movie. It's very good. Very, very good. Do you have anything else to say on May, December? No, I want to talk about the movie you want to talk about. All right. This was one of my uh, most anticipated. Uh, It's David Fincher's The Killer, which is also on Netflix right now. Uh, This stars Michael Fassbender as a assassin who we meet sitting in a WeWork in France, preparing (laughs) to carry out his next hit. Um, Things don't go to plan, and we spend the rest of the film watching him try and clean up that mess um i was so excited for this because i really like david fincher and i really like this movie but i think i i think i underrated it when i saw it um i did not expect it to be really just kind of a uh you know a a very uh i don't want to say it's not major but it's a piece of pulp Right, it is. It, it, it's his story of a of a hitman doing what a hitman does. Just a little bit of lay samurai in there. Um, he's technically adapting a graphic novel, but I think he's very loose in that. But it didn't feel like the big statement that you know something like a Fight Club or Gone Girl, like these big bombastic movies he makes. It's it's smaller. And there's a scene where the uh, the killer talks about how he really gets tired of these big complicated hits, and he just. Wishes he could have a nice, quiet drowning. And my first impression was, oh, this is David Fincher's nice, quiet drowning. It's it's this quiet movie. But then this movie would not leave my head. Like, it is meticulously composed by by Fincher. And it is about someone who is meticulous in the way he pulls off his jobs. And Mm -hmm. I heard, uh, I think it was Griffin Newman on the Blank Check podcast was saying, this is about David Fincher being panicked that he only has one take, uh, which I can't get out of my head. <laughs> That's an excellent line. That's an excellent line. But yeah, I mean, this is on the surface. It's a very simple movie. Things go wrong. He tries to cover it or to clean it up. And he's telling us, you know, his little mottos all the time. He's speaking to himself. Uh, he has a nice encounter with Tilda Swinton. That is one of my favorite scenes of the so year. Um, but I kind of turned it off and was like, okay, yeah, that was fun. But I haven't stopped thinking about it. And all this, like, there, there's a lot that I'm kind of chewing on. For one, the use of brands in this movie. Um, I, I've yeah. never, never seen any movie that wasn't a Disney movie have this many brands, like, paraded throughout. Like, there is WeWork, there is Amazon, there is McDonald's. And at, again, at first, I was like, oh, that's interesting. But you think about how everything in this society is perfectly cultivated to create someone who can kill and get away with it without leaving a trace. 
Also, the fact that when you listen to the killer's narration, but you watch his behavior, he's kind of an idiot. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Which makes it very funny. Um, It's really, it's a fun performance by Michael Fassbender, largely because that narration is at such counterpoints to sometimes what he is doing. Like, he is someone who is so driven by his mottos, like, don't show empathy, don't show compassion. And then he'll go and he'll kind of do that. Um, and it just really stuck with me. I think there's more going on in this movie than I gave it credit for. And I really want to see it again. Yeah. It was written by Andrew Kevin Walker, mm-hmm. who wrote Seven. So this is someone who, who, who uh, let's just say vibes with Fincher. Uh, and... It, for me, I watched it, and 20 minutes in, I was like, oh, this is Fincher's take on a Donald Westlake Parker novel. Okay. It, he's Parker, more or less. Uh, and Parker was a completely uh, – uh, he, he, Parker had no moral code. <laughs> we're mm-hmm. used to the we're used to the bad guys who kind of have at least their own moral code. Parker didn't didn't even have that. Parker wanted to survive, and the only reason you kind of rooted for Parker was that Westlake made it very clear that Parker's enemy was the outfit. It was organized crime. It was McDonald's, WeWork, Amazon. <laughs> that's that's why I that's part of the reason I drew the same sort of connections you did uh, with all of that stuff throughout the movie. Um and. And Parker novels were gloriously amoral, and this uh, the the only exception to that the, the only exception to this this the, the only reason this wouldn't be a straight up Parker story is there there is a woman. <laughs> Parker didn't care about anybody. The, uh, the killer kind of cares about somebody until you get to that last scene, and you wonder. <laughs> Does he really? <laughs> There's a great punchline in that final shot. Oh, yes, I, I, I laughed really hard at that. Uh, yeah, it, it's it's really good. I couldn't believe that uh, Fassbender and Fincher hadn't worked together before. Like they seem two people, like two people who should be have been making movies together for a very long time. <laughs> um, and I, I also it had been a long time since I'd seen Michael Fassbender in anything uh, because I didn't see his uh, Taika Waititi movie. I did. I did, but thankfully I saw the killer first. All right. Yeah, yeah, I really like there's a great fight in the middle of this movie too that is just one of the ugliest brawls. Great. I've seen. oh, it's so so good. It's fantastic. Um great Tilda Swinton cam extended cameo. Um yeah, I really I like the killer quite a bit. I I did too. I think it's very good. I think it's like, uh, and agreed. It's not, I don't think it's a major statement from Fincher, but I like him when he, I like that he alternates between major statements and doing Mm -hmm. a straight up genre piece. I love Panic Room. I think Panic Room's Room's a lot of fun. Panic Room's a great movie. Do I have it in his top five? No. But do I remember how much I love Panic Room? All the time. (laughs) (laughs) All the time. And, And I don't think he's top seven. Like seven is still my favorite movie he's done. And that's, not like a huge statement right out of the oh, kind of Zodiac is. Zodiac and Seven to me are one and one A. I I love them both. Yeah. They are they are opposite sides of the same coin. Zodiac I think is a better movie. I think Zodiac is 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 better, but Seven is, and I truly mean this, the greatest neo noir ever made. 
<laughs> and, and it and it is one of the greatest films that has ever attacked its audience that I've ever seen. <laughs> and as, as as I've said before in the podcast, Seven was the last time I was literally scared sitting in the movie theater. <laughs> so I give I give Seven a ton of credit. They're both seven, incredible movies. Seven's great, and you can go back and listen to our episode on Seven from a few years ago. Uh, yes. We were both very high on it, if you can't tell. Uh, <laughs> so that's May, December, and The Killer. They're both of, on Netflix right now. Uh, is there anything else you've seen? Like, we've seen a lot in the past few weeks, and I'm always confused on what I can talk about and what I can't, uh, because embargoes are a tricky thing. Well, did, did Chris, when are we posting this episode? Um, It'll probably go up Let's say Monday, because I think I want it to go out after I post my top 10 list. Okay, then in that case, I'm going to say since it will be in theaters close by, I really like the Ma- I really like Maestro. I think Maestro is, is a very good film worthy of your attention uh, with absolutely spectacular performances by, by, by the leads. And I will say that I did not feel the same way. Um, <laughs> but I really, I think it's one of those cases of a movie that I really... I appreciate the skill on display. It just didn't connect with me. I don't think it told me what I thought I was going to get out of it. Um, but I think Carrie Mulligan's very good. I think Bradley Cooper is very good. And there are some shots in this movie that are there. There's an, it's not quite the opening shot. It's the, uh, the second. It, and it, it makes me continue to be curious about what Bradley Cooper will do next. Cause it is definitely technically a step up from uh stars born. Um, it's a film that fuses Raging Bull in New York, New York, and doesn't tell either of those stories again. But I, I feel that's kind of what he's done visually. Uh, and I think we both saw Saltburn. Yes, we did. Which Another I think one again, I liked more than you. <laughs> and I didn't hate it. It just I didn't I didn't feel thematically at all. Made it eat the rich case like to do that would be to talk about some things at the end, um, but. <laughs> It really did, like, it's a highly enjoyable movie. Um, it just, it's, it, I don't think it quite is anything great, but I enjoyed watching it. Uh, it, it goes there, as the kids say. Um, but it, it, like, it's, it's beautifully shot and the performances are great. I like bringing up Maestro and Saltburn together because I think they are, uh, they are, they're they are the outstanding second films from people's whose first film I really liked and I thought were a tad overpraised. I think both of those films are better than their first films. I think Saltburn is better than Promising Young Woman, uh, and I think Maestro is an improvement on A Star Is Born. And maybe both just are not my uh, cup of bathwater. I, I don't know. Um... <laughs> You're not slurping it up. You're not slurping up Saltburn. Oh, I, I got to tell this. Uh, so. There was uh, someone we someone we both know who is uh, not someone who I would peg as liking Saltburn, even without some of the scenes in it. Uh, but I was I was seated next to them at the screening, and the physical sounds of disgust that came from them <laughs> during the bathtub scene were so fantastic that that it made that viewing so worth it. Um, and then this, a, a DVD screener showed up at our house and my wife was like, Oh, what's this? I'm like, you can never put this movie before your eyes. Like, <laughs> like she will think less of me. If you know, I have seen this movie. 
uh, it has been a long time since I've been at a regular, like, paid for a ticket screening of a movie that I saw people walk out of. Oh, really? I watched, I watched people walk out of Saltburn, and I was like, oh, okay. And I, I can understand why that might make you uncomfortable. <laughs> that's that's not unreasonable. <laughs> I'm enjoying it, but I can understand why that might chase you, chase you out of the theater, yes. Definitely things I didn't see before. Things I might not have wanted to see before. <laughs> it's it's fine. But you know what? Poor things. Same thing. But I didn't have the uh, same reaction. Like, yes, yes, they would make a very, very arduous double feature. Uh, I think poor <laughs> things. I think poor things would also make a fantastic double feature with Barbie. Um, <laughs> I, I think there, there's I, some similar stuff going on there. I don't know what you would want to screen either before or <laughs> after poor things, and that's not a knock. Please, please I really, yeah. I, I very much liked poor things. I, I, I don't mean to sound like I dislike the movie. I, it's very good. It is, it is easily the most likable Yorgos film. Uh but it's uh wow. Wow. That and Barbie. That is interesting. That is interesting. I almost wish that those two directors had flopped those scripts. Oh, that's interesting. <laughs> <laughs> um I'll close off by saying two more I saw recently. It's gonna close it on a bit of a downer note, but sometimes you just need to express the rage. Um so I saw Wish, the new Disney movie. Uh, we took our kids to see this the night before Thanksgiving because that's usually our tradition. Take them to go see the new Disney movie. And Perry, if you have ever wanted to see what it might look like for an AI to write a movie, <laughs> that is Wish. A, a movie that has no personality of its own, but is every single Disney princess movie crammed into a computer and then they spit out a movie that is literally the origin story of the star you wish upon <laughs> that it, is awful it that is just sounds it, atrocious it, it is awful and not a, but not as bad as the movie i saw later that night um which is one i was so looking forward to i am a big john woo fan from way back like i love the killer and hard-boiled and i'll go to bat for a hard target and i I love face off and the first movie i ever wrote a review for was actually broken arrow back in high school okay so i was so looking forward to silent night the uh the new film from john woo where a man's son is killed by a gang by I want to say gangsters, but that's not right. Just gang members <laughs> in uh, in California on Christmas, and so he he gets his revenge. And the uh, the unique thing about this is there's no dialogue. It is just watching this guy train and then prepare to go out and kill while his wife looks on disapprovingly and silently from the kitchen. Um, and he doesn't make a noise because he was conveniently shot in the throat and can't talk. And uh, Dang, I was so upset with this movie, Perry. Um, I like the idea in theory. And actually, there was a very good movie done earlier this year called No One Can Save You uh, on Hulu that was done with only one line of dialogue. And it it is fantastic. People should check it out. But man, it, it, it's the rare case where John Woo goes really operatic and over the top with not dialogue, but, you know, just the dramatic scenes because no one can talk, so they have to express things. So it's like the most violent mime story ever told. (laughs) But then he weirdly dials back any of the uh, style for the action sequences. So it's just this weird tone where all the dramatic scenes are just goofy and over the top, 
And the action scenes are just ugly and violent and mean and a weird subtext where this entire movie is has to cheer on a white man going to kill a bunch of brown people. Um, and it's, yeah. I was really disappointed this, this one. I, uh, I think it's the only half star movie I have reviewed since uh, <laughs> the bubble. So this, this, this was even worse than wish. This was where Wish got one and a half stars. Uh, this okay. was a half a star, and I haven't I checked. I hadn't done that since the bubble. So <laughs> another disappointment even, from a director I like. I don't even remember the bubble. That is Judd Apatow's latest. Oh, which I did not watch. Don't. I did not watch. I I and I I I should. I I I tend to like Apatow, but yes. Yeah, don't don't watch that one. Okay. So <laughs> so yeah. I think that brings us to the end of our show. Uh, we'll close it on a downer note because we will try and get something either right after Christmas or right after New Year's where we, t- I know you don't usually do a top 10 list before Oscar time. I don't, yeah, there, I've seen most everything. I don't know what else is coming. Okay. So well, maybe I'll we probably have a top 10 close to around that. I'll certainly have a solid top five. Cool. We'll we'll plan on doing that near the end of the year. Um, and yeah, we, then we can talk about in a little more detail some films we can't really talk about right now. Um, get those boys in their time in their boat. Um, so <laughs> until then, Perry, where can people find you? You can find me on Facebook. You can hear me every Friday morning on the Lucy and Lance show on WLBY in Ann Arbor. You can hear me on the Cathode Ray Mission broadcast. Uh, which is on the internet. We are doing a show this very Friday, which of course would have been the Friday before when we put this up. But hey, you can go back and find it. Let's do it again. Uh, no, actually, no, wait, that show's a week from Friday. So this coming Friday, when this airs, you'll be able to hear uh, me and my uh, my host and fellow guests, uh, Wax Rhapsodic on the career of Todd Haynes. Oh, nice. So we, are, we are very excited to be doing this. And by we, I mean me. I mean, I'm sure we all are, but I'm very excited to talk a lot about Todd Haynes, who I adore. Uh, Chris, where can we read and hear you? You can read me on most of the socials, Facebook, Twitter, X, um, Blue Sky, Threads. I think I'm Chrysicisms on most of, most of those. Uh, you can read me at chrysicisms.substack.com where I write about uh, older movies most of the time, movie news. This is where this podcast ends up sometimes. Uh, and you can find my reviews of new releases at cinemanerds.com. Um, oh, by the time this posts, my top 10 list will be up. So you can read my top 10 list for the year. Uh, I'll also have lists of my runners up and my favorite non-movie things of the year. Uh, and until then, Perry, I will uh, talk to you in a few weeks and we'll talk best of the year. Look forward to it, Chris. Take care. You too.